Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow. Grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included. All while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. KFI AM 640. You're listening to the John and Ken Show on demand on the iHeartRadio app. Well, obviously, we're still watching what's going on in the San Bernardino Mountain communities that have been inundated with snow for the past couple of weeks. The numbers are unbelievably off the charts. And uh, we visited this story the last two days at this time with our reporter, uh, Blake Trolley. Right now, we have a chance to talk to Dawn Rowe, who is chair of the San Bernardino County Board of Supervisors. And, of course, these mountain communities are in her district. Dawn. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Welcome uh, to the show. Uh, so this morning, it appears that uh, Governor Newsom is going to send the National Guard and Cal Fire. What are the details on that? So the details that I have so far, we've seen aerial um, sort of military style Black Hawk helicopters patrolling the mountain areas doing an assessment right now. And I think that they're doing it for all of the counties that are under that order. And then tomorrow we expect um, a supply list of what we might be receiving in terms of resources. We're going to meet with our state partners this afternoon. We have a meeting coming up here at 2.30 to, to see what they can get us and how quickly they can get it to us. And will this diminish this timeline of a week or more before we can get to everybody? Optimistically, yes. So uh, what kind of equipment are they going to bring? Do you know? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, stay tuned for that. So I, imagine, I would imagine uh, more snow plows? More we, of, the, you know, more, more of these snowcat uh, vehicles? What? Go ahead. We've had so much snow that a plow really can't do it. You need a loader to kind of scoop and dump. So you can't, it's now heavy and hard packed on some of those streets. 
So we need equipment that has chains on it. We need operators to go with the equipment also. So this is like gravel and dirt removal, then. It's like you got to dig it out. That's what's taking so long. And then you have to have a place to put it. You can't just push it off to the side of the road. Where is it going to go, do you think? Well, we're hopeful to have dump trucks that we can have pre-positioned to put it in. And then we do have mountain areas that we're identifying that have open space that we can can dump there that won't create a secondary impact. Do we know of any real emergencies that have occurred up there, like medical or anything that, or people really in the need of food and water? Has it gotten so dire? Have you gotten any messages where we have to do something really swiftly for anybody? We, we have had a number of 911 calls. They are all being responded to by county fire and county sheriff. Our snowcats are going in to take people that have those medical emergencies out. Um, we, we have had no reports of any delays in that. I mean, it might take a little bit to get a cat up to them, but they're getting out. The, um, the most important people thing that people can do is really neighbor help a neighbor in these mountain communities. Oh, were, were the people aware that a, this storm was going to be this big? To what extent was it a surprise at the size of the storm? Well, I think we had a couple things happen. We had back-to-back storms. And then we also had down trees and down power lines that really kind of stopped that initial effort from getting in and plowing those roads where we had houses and in the communities. And resources were diverted to those down power line areas and the tree removal. And so that prolonged a little bit of the response initially. But I don't, I don't think any of us could foresee this level of, of it's wet snow and it's it's packed in there. And then the two storms back to back. That's what really kind of has has hampered us. I was looking at the forecast, and it looks like most days coming up, it's going to be slightly above freezing. So you're going to get a little bit of snow melt, and then you're going to have a hard freeze again at night. And I wondered That's how that the dangerous part. How, yeah, how that complicates things. So I just left. I was able to get only up to our Crestline community with our county fire chief to do an assessment of Goodwin's Market where their roof collapsed and they are the major lifeline for grocery distribution in that community. And so we just left there, and those roads are really single lane. I mean, you can pass two, but you're kind of going up on a snow berm, and, and it's tricky, and, and it's with melted snow underneath us right now. If we were doing it at night, there would be lots of slipping and sliding. Yeah, I mean, I can't see how a one-lane road functions because you could get deep down a road and run, come up face-to-face against an oncoming vehicle, and then what? We have county, we, county and Caltrans have uh, moved snowblowers into the area, and it looks like a little mini cat with a plow on the front that pipes it up and shoots out the snow to the side, and that is helping those one-lane roads to make them one-and-a-half, two lanes. We're trying to get those done on the arterials right now. Um, were you surprised that, that uh, the state government came through this morning? Because yesterday it seemed like nobody was listening. I'm I don't know if I'm surprised. I'm just excited. I'm just, I mean, the state has really done a lot to try to communicate with us and to keep, um, they're empathetic. They're trying to help. And I'm, I'm excited about it. Now they got a lot of other counties, especially up in the North, up in these Sierras that are having the same problems, or maybe not to the extent that uh, San Bernardino is. Is there any sense that uh, California is going to need federal help just because there's so much sure. widespread difficulty out there one of the things i talked to our local congressman about yesterday was trying to assist in the form of small business loans 
we want to see people back up and enjoying our local mountains, but just not until it's safe. And our local businesses where they close their doors because they don't have patrons to come up and, and visit them, that's going to be devastating. So that's another secondary um, effect of this storm. So can we get relief from the Small Business Administration to help those small businesses with any kind of help? So that that is one of the federal questions that I've asked. All right, Dawn, thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Have a great afternoon. That's Dawn Rowe. She's chair of the San Bernardino County Board of Supervisors. And, of course, her district, and we talked about this yesterday, she is, you know, the government rep for these mountain communities that have been inundated with snow. They don't have city councils or mayors or anything like that. No local government. She's like the mayor much of uh, the same bernie deal council she's everything she's everything right? she's the whole thing she's their only link to any kind of outside government help that they've been asking for but as john said newsom finally declared a state of emergency for 13 california counties of course one of them san bernardino county and then we see a schedule for today and all it says is governor newsom has left the state well that's nice Maybe oh get a, get away for a little ski holiday with his family or something far away I have no idea. Doesn't say where, just left. He's gone. He's gone. Oh, all right. Scheduled for March 2, he's left the state. <laughs> Declared a state of emergency and left. Well, it, it's dangerous to stay in California. Yeah, There's a lot really... of people in peril right now. I know. Did you see those snow cats? No. I remember, I, I, they're really cool. I mean, they, 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 have a, they have a cab, and then beneath them, they have these uh, huge treads that, that it rides on. So I right. because I guess the danger for normal vehicles it, it would it would sink in the snow right it can't yeah. get any tri- but these things uh, can can perch high atop all that snow and with such wide treads uh, it, it it's able to move across the top of the snowbanks yeah because I kept thinking they're just going to sink in you know some of these the snow the snow was several feet high and it's soft enough anybody trying to drive through it is going to sink in and then get stuck in it uh, these totals from the U.S. National Weather Service. As of yesterday, 91 inches at Crestline and 99 inches of snow at Lake Arrowhead. Uh, that's I mean, that unbelievable. Is, that is eight feet of snow. Even more locally, Mount Baldy and Snow Summit, 106 inches. And then 120 was the number for Snow Valley, which is a good name for it. These are yeah, the, that's the uh, mountain totals. That's the uh, Snow Valley is one of the ski resorts uh, at Big Bear. And Snow Summit is a ski resort near Running Springs. Now, is there such a thing as too much snow for people to ski, and people can't get up there well, either to ski? So, well, if they get if the if the snow is too high, then the chairlifts can't they can't get over it. Right? Yeah, can't can't get they over can't the operate. top of it. Right? Right. All right, we got more coming up. John and Ken, KFI AM six forty, live everywhere. The iHeartRadio app. You're listening to John and Ken on demand from KFI AM six forty. Well, apparently uh, the governor's office did respond to our news reporter, Blake Trolley, about Newsom being out of the state. Oh. Uh, He's on personal travel. He'll be returning next Sunday as protocol when the governor is on personal or family travel. We do not provide details about the trip. So I took a right guess. It is probably a little family trip for ski week or whatever they do at his private schools or his kids go or something like that. I hope he's not going to one of those states where we ban travel. Remember that? Oh, of, of course. he. Well, he does all the time. I know. He goes up to Montana because that's where his wife's uh, family is. Yeah, and he's, he's banned travel to Montana because uh, they don't uh, pass the proper uh, sexuality laws. It's supposed to tell your wife, well, your parents live in the wrong state. Screw them. Right. You can't go see them. Yeah. 
All right, let's bring on Blake Trolley for more on the mountain communities of San Bernardino County and their problems with uh, getting uh, help and getting out from the big snowfall. Hey, Blake, so what's going on right now? Yeah, so well, I just heard you guys try to get some details on it, and that's been about my uh, my journey through most of this. Uh, the governor, again, uh, declared a state of emergency last night, and a few of the big takeaways from that are Cal Guard crews, their hand crews and National Guard crews are now ready to help out. Um, I understand that a National Guard Black Hawk, uh, Black Hawk helicopter and crew is now on standby ready to assist with, uh, you know, uh, rescue rescue missions. Uh, yeah, sorry. I was Your having a hard time with that word. There, but there. I think the most. My brain is freezing. So, okay, I think uh, quite possibly the most effective change that this um, could have brought, uh, you know, could bring to the region is that private companies are now being hired to come in and remove snow at an accelerated uh, pace. I want to go to this interview clip. I just I spoke recently with Ashley Weinberger. Uh, she lives in the Crestline area. She gave me an update from her house today. I hadn't heard from her in a few days, and she informed me that Wi-Fi and cell service, so all of it, went out last Wednesday and. We're only up for a total of four hours uh, since going out last Wednesday. Here's an update from her house today. For my house, we haven't been able to leave since Wednesday, so it's been just over a week. We finally got plowed, which is nice, but looking at my kitchen window, you know, I'm 5'4", and the snow just from our driveway, from what I can see, is above my eye level, which is insane. The streets are plowed but the berms are 15, 12 to 15 feet high in some spots. So we haven't been able to really get out of our neighborhood, which is only four streets, um, to see the main highway, the 138, well, takes you to the 138, Sky Forest Road and Waters. Um, I mean, they're down to just one lane, halfway plowed. So they're trying to work on it. And I'll know more a little bit later once we are able to take a walk and actually see the neighborhood. So, again, I'm waiting for an update from her. But, guys, she lives uh, in the Crestline area. And yesterday you had heard about that grocery store roof collapsing. I looked into that today. That grocery store is still closed. She says she wasn't able to leave her house for six days. So now she's just emerged. A lot of people are just starting to emerge in the area. And they have nowhere to go get more food. Uh, I have seen that the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department is running food deliveries up the mountain, but again, a big issue. And she gave me an outlook of challenges. I know you guys were trying to dig into this yesterday. So I asked her, you know, what's going on with your neighbors and with everybody on the road? And here's what she had to say. I mean, luckily we have a snowblower. So we kept up our cars are the only cars that I've seen on all the streets that can get out. We're lucky enough to have a garage all of my other neighbors don't. The one right across the street, he is unfortunately diabetic and manages his diabetes through his nutrition. And he ran out of all of his food that's okay for him. So he can only shovel, you know, a few minutes at a time without feeling like he's going to pass out. Then our other neighbors across the street have a one-year-old and they haven't been able to dig out at all. And unfortunately, the berm got pushed up right against their car. So they have a six-foot wall to get to the street after they shovel out the eight feet of snow that's on top of their cars. It's pretty oh, insane. And <laughs> the eight feet of snow guys, on top of the car, of the- and it's blocked by six feet that, that, they, that they plowed up against it. 
it's just an absolute mess. And, you know, we've heard these these uh, complaints that the state acted too late in sending those those uh, guard crews, sending those Cal Fire crews. And Ashley is one of those people. One hundred percent. You know, we're so far behind on all the snow that we have accumulated. This should have been happening throughout the entire storm and not at the end when people are already stuck in their homes and have been for multiple days when this 100% could have been avoided had we had had all those extra resources then instead of now. Yeah, there isn't much preventative action or, or just getting in place to go to war for moment one. And, and these forecasts were, were quite detailed and, and, and accurate up to the point where you knew you were going to get three or four feet of snow, maybe not six to eight feet of snow, but three to four feet is enough. And it just seemed like everything should have been pre-positioned and, and ready to go. Do we That's still- her stance. And, you know, John, we're st- – No, go ahead. Oh, sorry. What's up? I think we got a delay, so just go well, ahead. Well, we're starting – Gotcha. Yeah, we're starting to see some really interesting issues come out from all of this. You know, one thing that that I'm I saw one report uh, about this, and I saw a you know on social media, and that's that gas meters are starting to get weighed down with snow and explode. And the San Bernardino County Fire Department actually tweeted about a gas explosion today. The reports I saw were social media reports that these are now getting weighed down and causing explosions. So just another issue on top of. All the other headaches we've heard about uh, with this uh, with this snowstorm. All right, Blake. Thank you very much for that update. All right, thanks, guys. All right, Blake Trolley. Of course, he's been covering the mountain communities of San Bernardino County and what they're going through, and trying to dig out from the massive snowfall something else that is going on outside of the San Bernardino mountain communities and their snow problems are happening on streets around Southern California. Of course, John, as you know, with all the money we spend, we have the best roads in the nation. I mean, we're told that all the time. With, with signs that say we're proud that this is funded with your taxes. Uh, your tax dollars at work. Uh, sinkholes are popping up. Uh, sometimes they're taking people's cars and sucking them right inside. It's happened outside of Santa Paula High School in Ventura County. Uh, a car, thankfully nobody was in it, fell inside a sinkhole there. Uh, apparently there was another sinkhole uh, at a uh, Cal State LA underneath Circle Drive. Um, I understand that his state of emergency that Newsom issued also deals with getting more crews out quicker to try to patch up the roads because you have your average pothole, which is only going to get worse. But sinkhole is uh, that's really nasty if your car falls into that or yeah. if you're inside of it. Yeah. No, I saw a car flipped over. Uh, upside down, deep into a hole. Oh, uh, on well, not not in person, but on on, on television. Last oh, on night. television. I right. did see. Well, I did drive over two of the largest potholes I've ever driven over, and I fortunately both times I spied the pothole before I rolled over it. But it, it was deep. If I had hit it full speed, that would have hurt. Wow. Well, I mean, I think an axle would have flowed off. I mean, these are the biggest potholes that I can remember. Uh, in California, since I moved oh, here. This much rain and everything else that's fallen down just kind of erodes the already horrendous roads that we have. All right, when we come back, we have a special guest coming on the John and Ken show. Probably many of you are aware, if you've ever been down in the San Diego area of Coronado Island, which I see has a population of about 20,000, the mayor is coming on. Why is he coming on? Well, he wants to say we have but one homeless person. And that's because our policy is we do not tolerate encampments. This is the type of approach 
that Chan and Ken say you need to make in order to solve the problem. You got to start making the homeless responsible for themselves in any manner so they eventually get their life together or they move on to somewhere else. But if they keep getting moved on, you think eventually they try to get their act together. Uh, our guests coming up after the news here at 1.30 is Richard Bailey, John and Ken, KFI AM 640, live everywhere, the iHeartRadio app. You're listening to John and Ken On Demand from KFI AM 640. Yeah, and of course, stay with KFI News for the latest on what's going on with the poor people in the mountain communities of San Bernardino County as they continue to try to dig them out. But at least now, some help is coming with the National Guard and much more equipment to do that. Now we turn our attention back to California's top problem, the homeless. California, California uh, has this huge homeless issue. We've got 30% of the homeless in the country, and we're only 12% of the population. But there are uh, many cities in Southern California that have very few or no homeless because they simply don't put up with it. We were out with friends a couple of weeks ago who live in Glendale, and they said, no, we don't have anything in Glendale. I drive through Beverly Hills all the time. They have almost nothing in Beverly Hills. Right. Same but thing. they don't publicize that they're like that. They kind of do it very quietly, I know. The same thing with Beverly Hills, a lot of other communities. Uh, they figure out a way to move the homeless along, and, but they don't really want to hold press conferences and shout from the rooftops. But they do because it. Because now they'll be pummeled by the liberal press, right? Yeah, well, the thing is, everybody should know it can be done. I mean, I mean Malibu does it. West Hollywood does a real good job with it. Uh, Culver City does uh it 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 is specifically the policies you have in your city determines the amount of homeless nothing else just your city and sometimes a council person in your city might have a much cleaner district than other council people who embrace all this nonsense so we're going to talk now about coronado uh coronado is the resort city on a peninsula in san diego bay if you've ever been down there it's a delightful place to visit and of course the hotel del coronado very famous, draws people from all over. Population about 20,000. And the headline here is that they have the lowest homeless rate in the state, be it as a smaller city. We're going to talk now to the mayor, Richard Bailey, about their approach in Coronado to the vagrants. Richard, how are you? Hey, good afternoon, guys. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. So what's the number right now? I, I saw an article. It was either zero or one. Did you Did you get rid of the guy or... It was, as of the last official count, one, but since that count took place, we were able to find that individual help, and that person is no longer homeless. So as of this moment, there are no official counts showing us have any more than, than zero homeless. You ought to have a big electronic scoreboard <laughs> as you go over the bridge and enter well, the... Uh... Let me let me ask you this, then, going back a bit, was there a problem? Was there 10, 20, 30 homeless? What was your highest number that you guys ever counted? So the homeless, the homeless population is actually tough to count on at any given time because it's a, it's a fluid situation. But uh, we had several dozen um, over the course of the last few years, but we're very, very proactive in our approach to addressing the, the homeless issue. We try to take the approach that, that, is, that makes saying yes to getting help and off of the street really the only option available. And what that looks like in practice is we have contracted with a, a homeless service provider and so anyone that enters Coronado that appears to be down on their luck or needing shelter space, we will make contact with them almost immediately. And we will let them know, hey, we have shelter space available for you. We can help give you the resources you need to get back on your feet if you're facing some hard times. However, 
we do not allow people to simply set up tents on the sidewalk and block the public right away. We don't tolerate people urinating or defecating in public or being intoxicated in public. And so we go about just enforcing our basic code violations like we, w- like we would for anyone, regardless of their housing status. And what that results in is that usually people either accept help or they just move along. All right. So if uh, you get a call that some guy's pitched a tent in one of your parks and you go there and he's living in the tent, sleeping bag, bicycle, you know, all the uh, all the accoutrements that uh, the homeless uh, settle with. Yes. What 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 do you do if he says, no, I'm fine here. Leave me alone. So usually when what tends to happen is when homeless individuals tend not to like to be bothered, right? They, they want to go about their lifestyle without being bothered, which is why they tend to go move to cities that have that enable this type of behavior and kind of turn, turn the blind eye to it. So usually upon just first contact of writing them a citation or letting them know that, Hey, you're not allowed to stay here. Usually they either accept help or they, they move about to another location. Um, in the event, someone is, you know, resisting our orders to leave we can cite them uh, multiple times and eventually we can get a restraining order against them uh, from a judge but once again it really comes down to taking a very proactive approach that starts with having shelter space available so that you can go about enforcing these types of code violations so i mean because you got a situation there right across the bridge you have san diego which has some real downtown homeless problems i mean you're finding people that kind of make their way into your city from there what you tend to find is that there's a direct correlation between transit lines and where the homeless population spreads. Um, and so we are just a couple bus stops away from the epicenter of the homeless situation here in San Diego County. And so, yeah, we do notice that individuals from downtown San Diego will come through Coronado. We suspect they're coming by bus. And that just means that we have to continue to be proactive. And, and word gets out pretty quickly within the homeless community of which areas in town government officials of what other of you know any city is allowing you to stay there and which cities kind of give you um you know don't tolerate blocking the public right-of-way or all these other basic code violations so word gets out pretty fast have you gotten any blowback from activists or any other local protesters that uh, you're taking too tough an approach on this you know what i not not yet knock on wood um I personally think this is the right thing to do. You know, we have we have a, a responsibility to make sure that the people that genuinely want help have the option to get that help. But we also have a responsibility to our general public that that want clean public spaces so they can so they can walk down the sidewalk to school or the grocery store that they can enjoy parks without having to worry about stepping on a needle or or walk outside and not have to worry about stepping on human waste. You know, we have a responsibility uh, to them as well. And so striking the right balance is what we're trying to do here. And the cities you mentioned earlier are trying to do that as well. What What do you think has gone wrong with all these other uh, city officials? I mean, you must know some of the ones in, in San Diego. Well, wh- why have they allowed uh, all all the filth and the feces and the needles and the aberrant behavior, the you know the schizophrenia, the drug addiction? Why have they allowed that to proliferate? When when I'm sure they're personally disgusted by it, they don't want that coming in on their block in, in their house. Why why do you think they tolerate all this to such a large extent? I, I wish I knew the answer to that. Um, someone recently shared with me. Gosh, you know, here we are in California where they've they've taken away plastic straws and now they're handing out plastic needles, and it, it's just a very different mindset here in California. And what's happening here in our state and throughout our region largely 
it's, it's not normal. And I think it's really important for listeners to understand this, that from 2012 through 2022, so over the past 10 years, the number of homeless population throughout the entire country actually fell by 40,000. So there are 40,000 fewer people homeless today in the United States than there were 10 years ago. However, here in California, our homeless population has increased by 40% over that same time period. So that begs the question, what policies is California implementing that not only enables the, the you know people to continue living a personally destructive lifestyle without consequences for them, but severe consequences for their surrounding community, and also attracting more homeless individuals? What policies are these? And I think it really comes down to the housing first without any preconditions, right? So Los Angeles County is infamous for this. They're spending upwards of $800,000 per housing unit based on the philosophy that, well, we have to get them all housed first before we can expect them to um, make any changes to their lifestyle. But, uh, why, yeah, that's a, that's an absurd theory. Why do politicians embrace that instead of saying the obvious? It's like, well, that's never going to work. There's not enough money in, in on the planet to finance all those homes. So we can't do that. This, this is what I don't get. There's always activist groups with crazy ideas. It's going to be like that forever. But why don't the people with the responsibility to say no, say no, and enforce the law? I wish I had an answer for that. All I can say is, as you mentioned earlier, your local representation matters a lot. So you have to have people that have the backbone that are willing to say, hey, look, this is a tough problem. I hate to see someone down on their luck or addicted to drugs or mentally ill. Like on a human level, I have tremendous compassion for them. We're going to offer them help. But refusal to accept help doesn't give you the right to crap on the sidewalk. Like, I hope that's something we can we can all agree on. I, let me ask you this question. At, at, at this point in time, this is Mayor Richard Bailey of Coronado. Like today, you said maybe you have one or zero homeless people. Are there? Do you have people right now that are in some sort of shelter? And did you get anybody permanent housing there? How does this work, the next part of it? Yeah, so usually what we have, we have a contract with a third-party homeless provider that has temporary shelter space. And that temporary shelter space also includes resources that if they needed to get plugged into, um, say, additional job trainings or if they were having mental health issues, they have navigators that can help plug them into uh, resources there. And that's kind of where our role as a local municipality ends. And then you have the county and state that are supposed to step up and, and serve in their capacities. And that's one issue that I've, I've kind of noticed is that you have a lot of local governments that refuse to stay in their lane as a local government official on some issues, and then they refuse to accomplish their core responsibility on other issues such as homeless. So you know, we have a responsibility here in Coronado to you know, enforce the basic rule of law and make sure that people that need help have access to it, and then it's, it's on the shoulders of other agencies from there. Um, so we're, we're trying to do our best to focus on what our core responsibilities are and execute those, and we're, we're hoping others will follow suit. All right, thank you very much for coming on. Boy, we, we need really more guys it. like you, Richard. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate that. Thank you guys for the coverage. Okay, he ought to uh, have, like, some sort of a, a conference and bring together all these dopey <laughs> political leaders around the state and explain exactly you know, how he does it in Coronado. What I was wondering is, was there a conference where everybody, like, took an oath and pledged to uh, destroy the, the streets of Los Angeles? And in the streets of San Francisco and all these other you crazy mean the approach, city? which is housing first, and when there's no housing, just let everybody just, lie there, just, right? Yeah, just let everybody lie there and uh, abuse themselves and kill themselves. I mean, it's two thousand a year dying in Los Angeles. Two thousand people a year dying on our streets. When and, we come back, we'll take a quick visit to opposite land from Coronado in terms of dealing with homeless people. With a visit to San Francisco and Oregon. 
John and Ken, KFI AM640, live everywhere, the iHeartRadio app. You're listening to John and Ken On Demand from KFI AM640. Yeah, you know, and check out that podcast. We just talked to the mayor of Coronado. We got a lot of listeners who forwarded that story from Fox News to us to get this guy on the show. Well, we did. If you've missed it, it just ran. You can catch the podcast when it's posted right after 4 o'clock. Zero homeless in Coronado. Zero homeless. Or one, depending on whether or not they've caught up to this guy yet or (laughs) one guy. By by the end of the day, the guy will be gone. Because you're not allowed to uh, camp in a public space. That, it's real simple. Now, in the opposite universe, the idea that housing comes first and what they did during the pandemic, they thought this was a great idea. Let's put the vagrants in the empty hotel rooms because people aren't traveling anymore for uh, reasons that they got locked down. So they did this for the better part of a year or two, and now the bill is coming due. The city of San Francisco may have to pay $26 million to hotels because of the damage that the homeless did during the pandemic and the revenue they lost because probably they got the rooms at a very discounted rate when they took on homeless people. They housed 3,700 vagrants. High risk, they call them. High risk residents. In in 25 hotels. So what do you think happened? They're whacked out on drugs. They're crazy. And uh, they, they, they wrecked a lot of the rooms. One hotel called Hotel Union Square filed a claim, almost $6 million in damages. Hundreds of thousands and lost rent from taking on the homeless. And and get this, the city, their counteroffer, all right? Hotel Union Square says we need $5.6 million, and the city offered $400,000 for the damage. And two hundred eighty grand for lost rent. They gave up eventually, and they're going to pay $5.3 million. <laughs> the Tilden Hotel, they so want $6.5 million. So get this. The city comes up with this wacko idea to house homeless in nice hotels. The hotels say, sure, if you pay us. And then at the end of it, they say, hey, look at all the damage that your vagrants did. What? You want money? No. Well, that's disgusting. What a disgusting group of politicians in, in San Francisco. Again, no respect for private property. No respect for anyone or any company that owns something. And before we leave San Francisco, there's also this report. We've noticed and talked about how, of all the major cities in the U.S., a lot of people left San Francisco during the lockdown for reasons that they could work anywhere in the world if they wanted to, also because the rents were ridiculously high, and let's not forget the vagrants with their crime and their drugs. 150,000 fewer office workers are in San Francisco and downtown on any given day now. That's an incredibly high number. No wonder there's so many buildings for rent that have no tenants anymore. <laughs> there's 150,000. Imagine what that does to the businesses that relied well, on them for lunchtime and well, that, quick shopping trips. That's and, millions of meals that aren't served in restaurants. Exactly. That, that, All those business lunches, right? Yeah. That, that, that's millions of uh, sales that aren't made in all the retail shops. I... Trying to figure out the number, because I've always heard these reports that a lot of people just gave up working there or living there, but 150,000 less office workers. And I think the mayor said a couple of weeks ago that uh, London Breach, he said, it's never going to be what it was, referring to downtown San Francisco. No kidding. Because it's not. We have to reimagine it. It's not just remote work. That's what they're always going to hide behind. It's that people 
were so disgusted and upset with paying such high rents and going through such difficult commutes only to be met with with half-naked people screaming at them, dropping feces on the sidewalk, needles hanging out of their arms, all kinds of their cars being broken into, just all kinds of danger. That's what they don't miss. Now, the other place we're going to visit here when it comes to the vagrant update is Oregon, which is another horrendous place that completely deals with uh, the homeless in exactly the opposite ways as they should, as pointed out with our conversation with the mayor of Coronado. There is a bill in the Oregon legislature that would pay every vagrant $1,000 a month, no questions asked, do what you want with it. Yeah, that's going to solve the problem, isn't it? They're going to go right out there and work on getting a nice place to rent and buying a nice uh, set of clothes so they can get back into... It's really going to work that way, isn't it? It's going to drive up the price of street drugs. Oh, you're right. They'll have more disposable income, right? If you're a dealer and every single vagrant who buys your your drugs now has an extra $1,000 a month, I'm raising prices, right? Right. I mean, they're they're printing money for these uh, street people. Uh, payments may be used for rent, emergency services, or emergency expenses, food, child care, other goods and services of the participants choosing. Anything goes, in other words. Uh, exactly right. They don't want to put any strings on it because they believe that uh, yeah. the vagrants won't uh, do anything good with the money or they won't take you know, the money. What hasn't gotten enough publicity is that Oregon uh, 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 decriminalized uh, all kinds of drugs. They criminalized street drugs last year. And now the state health authority has ruled that that legislation has failed. Seven months after it went into effect, you have more people than ever now zombified and stoned and dysfunctional. Well, that's what effectively Prop 47 did here by reducing them from felonies to misdemeanors. It took away, uh, you know, the... uh, the, 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 the thing we could hold over them to send them into treatment for a felony. Right. So they, they decided that you, street drugs no longer a crime. And here's $1,000 so you can buy more. Why would you do any of this? You're killing those people. And you're making the place uninhabitable for, uninhabitable for normal people who are paying the taxes. But then let's go back to why do people in Oregon, people in Portland, vote for these public officials? What's wrong with you? And then you bitch and complain about the conditions. I read a poll where 75% of the people in the Portland metropolitan area will not go downtown at night. I don't know why they don't oust the government. I mean, we saw something happen in Chicago this week. We saw something happen in Seattle last year with some changes. Uh, You would think that slowly but surely these places, these voters would get wise and say, you got to get rid of the people making the decisions. And Seattle, uh, Seattle has been heavily damaged. Portland heavily damaged. The business district has been hollowed out in San Francisco. What what else do you need? All right. We got more coming up. John and Ken, KFI AM640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. And Deborah Mark live in the 24-hour KFI newsroom. Hey, you've been listening to the John and Ken Show. You can always hear us live on KFI AM640, 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. every Monday through Friday. And, of course, anytime on demand on the iHeartRadio app. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.